Welcome back to Back Points. We've got a great episode coming up with Blake Rulo, who won the state championship at 140 pounds in 2010 from Atoka High School in Virginia. He has one of the most interesting wrestling journeys I've encountered so far. He opens up about what wrestling has meant to him, why he was known for wearing a pink singlet in high school, how he ended up losing a good friendship over a wrestle-off, and the long path that led him to being the head coach of the top 25 Averett University wrestling team. As always, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on YouTube, and let's get rolling. He taught me to get up when I didn't want to get up, when I wanted to quit. I had high goals, and I've always had high goals. And so when I won it, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, you guys are right. So it's not the thrill of winning. It's the joy of having that personal goal and being able to achieve that and walk off the mat with your head held high and with your hand up. That just fueled my fire, and I was in every state championship match from there on until I graduated. That was when I really started doing the kind of wrestling that I was capable of. Anybody that steps in the ring and just decides to commit the entire time is a state champion in my in my book. I'm here today with Blake Rulo, the head coach of Averett, of the Averett Cougars based in Danville, Virginia. He has a long list of wrestling accomplishments, including being an eight-time National High School Coaches Association national champion and being named the NHSCA Wrestler of the Year in 2011. We're here today to talk about a lot of things, but as always, we want to focus on his journey to a state championship in Virginia in high school, which he accomplished in 2010 from Atoka High School at the 140-pound weight class. Blake, great to have you here. Welcome to Back Points. I appreciate you having me on, Will. Uh, I love what you're doing for the sport, uh, having guys on like Brian Hazard and uh, Dalton Henderson, uh, Roman Perryman. There's there's some really good guys on there. So if you guys haven't heard it, take a listen to those ones. Tell us about this pink singlet before we get started. I want to I want to hear the story about the pink singlet that you're famous for in high school. Okay, so it actually started in the middle school. So I was going for I was going for my second NHSCA title at the time, and. Basically, you know, basically I'm, I'm wrestling in the tournament, uh, you know, beat the beat the Scott brothers. I beat one of the twins in the quarters, one of the other twins in the semis. Both went on, I believe, to wrestle at Cornell. And anyway, there was this other kid. His name's Dylan Simmer. And on the other side of the bracket, he's just uh, wrecking havoc. He's barely getting out of the first period. Uh, I want to say he was a PA middle school state champ. And he was tough. And I had wrestled him months previously. And he beat, beat me up bad. It was like 12 to 2. Wasn't he competitive? And that time, you know, I wasn't really getting beat up like that, not in seventh grade. And so anyway, I'm, I, uh, I know I have him in the finals. I know he's better. Like, there's just no – it wasn't, it wasn't a, a cockiness thing. It was just like, all right, there's got to be a way I can beat this guy. So I took it more from a mental standpoint. And Rage and Raisins Wrestling Club was the club. They got the pink singlet, and it says PA on the back. So what I did was I went ahead and bought, bought a singlet. I was like, hey, Dad, I, gotta, I really want that. I didn't even tell my dad what I was actually doing. I was like, Dad, I really want that Rage and Raisins Wrestling Club singlet. And he, I don't think he put two and two together either. Otherwise, he wouldn't have let me do it. So anyway, I buy the singlet. I go down to the Virginia Beach boardwalk, and they had the little spray painting things they do on the boardwalk because it's at the Virginia Beach Convention Center, and it's only like you know, a couple blocks down the road. And so I get a no smoking sign put on, uh, put on the PA logo on the back of it, and I get VA put underneath it. And the plant that I showed, I showed a couple people in Virginia. I was like, dude, this is, oh, I'm going to piss off this kid. And I, it was, uh, I, I had it like all planned out. It was like, okay, when, when it's, when we're in the match right before, when, uh, when it, that match starts, I take off the first. I take off the shirt, and I still got the pants on. So you can now. I'm I'm showing it. He's wearing the same singlet as me. <laughs> like he's wearing the same. He's wearing a raging wrestling, uh, raging raisins wrestling club singlet. He's wearing the same singlet, and you just see him start getting angry, and you start you start hearing people talk in the crowds, and so then the second period comes. I take off. Oh, now it's now it's all showing. The VA showing. 
And all of a sudden you start hearing the chants. VEA, VEA sucks. VEA, VEA sucks. All of a sudden this is a really big match now. <laughs> and I'm pumped. And he came out and the plan, the plan was, it was like, all right, he hasn't made it out the first period in his five matches leading up. I'm going to make him blow his gasket. All right. And, uh, he went out. I got. I think I got two stalling calls on me in the first period, uh, and you know he was up like he was up like one zero right off the get go. Off of that, he gets an escape in the second. But anyway, there. No, you always wrestle to the end of the whistle. And he was up two zero. I was down, and there was about thirteen seconds left. And I get away, and I just charge after him. And meanwhile, these chants were going on the whole time, and it got worse because I was losing. You know, the PA people got louder and I charge after him and both he trips over his own feet. It was pure luck on my end. Um, he trips over his own feet and I have both legs. I don't even realize I won the match and everybody's screaming and hollering. People are jumping in the stands. People are people are. I haven't put together yet that I've won the match. So I line up on the line. I think we're going to overtime. Obviously, I couldn't count back then. And. I line up and ref raised my hand. I just remember my dad, he jumped up about five feet up in the air. I'd never seen him jump so high in my life. And you know, it was, it was crazy. It, it was, that's what started in my opinion from that point on, that's when people started actually watching me wrestle and it was controversy a hundred percent. So I started wearing that singlet uh, from then on. And I'm sure plenty of people saw me wear it all through high school. That's an awesome story. Where did you get the idea to, to try to get in your opponent's head? Well, to be honest, I think I watched a, a little bit too much reality TV, if I'm going to be quite frank. But I, don't, I just I always believe that, um, you know, your pre-match warm up is really important. It's what guys that, you know, what you're thinking about, because there's so many anxieties and you almost got to trick yourself into believing you're so much better than the other guy. So. For that match in, in particular, he had already beat me 12 to 2. So how do I combat that? I gave myself, I made myself believe that the only way I could beat this guy is if I got him flustered. And he made, you know, in my head back then as a seventh grader, he looked pissed about it. So I thought, oh man, I'm going to win this. And it ended up working out in my favor. But I just, I always believe you can get into opponent's head based off of a warm up. Um, based off the way you wrestle, you, you can you give guys what they don't want want to feel. If you if you notice a guy, and I don't mean to get too detailed. Obviously, I want it to be uh, more of a back and forth. But if a guy is really heavy on his right foot, oh man, I'm gonna hit a low single. I'm not gonna hit what I usually hit. You know, you just kind of always take what the guy gives you. And I don't know that that the the Jedi mind tricks. Uh, you know, sometimes they work. Sometimes they get my butt kicked. But I think they're important. I do too. I think they absolutely are. And I'm always interested to know where people, where, where the origins of that, of those types of ideas come from. I know I was lucky to have an Olympic bronze medalist as a coach and he would, he would talk to me specifically about how do you get into somebody's mind. And um, I never did, I never did anything like the pink singlet and the, you know, that that's, that's a great, that's a great approach. But um but, you know, I, I've always been interested in whether some people just naturally know to, you know, to, to go after someone mentally. You know, I, I, you look at somebody like Mike Tyson and it seems like he just naturally honed in on the psychological aspect of a, of a, of a battle. Yeah, I mean, him, him in particular, it's funny. I was watching a, a podcast earlier and uh, Joe Rogan was, was talking about how like a year ago, before, you know, he's fighting this weekend against mm -hmm. Roy Jones Jr., and it was about like how a year ago, you know, yeah, I'll never fight. But apparently his wife called him fat and he just started he, he talked about how he was so scared of, of uh, working out because he can't just work out. He ends up really competitive and his ego gets too big. And so like Mike Tyson ends up now he's in a fight with Roy Jones Jr. 11 months later, about 80 pounds lighter and uh yeah, th things like that. Your mind, your mindset is really, really important. But sometimes it, it, it can be the death of you in certain situations. <laughs> so let's back up and tell us how you got into wrestling in the first place. 
So when I came through, I was uh, I was four years old. It was me and a friend of mine, Josh Clark, and we had we were wrestling partners from the age of four. And basically, I'm not gonna lie, I couldn't stand wrestling. I tell I tell people this all the time. They don't really believe me. I was below 500 for a really long time. Um, it honestly felt like I was going through the motions of just getting my butt kicked. And I did it more so for my dad. So my dad was a division two wrestler at Virginia state university. Um, their program ended up dropped, but you know, he was, he wasn't a, a great college wrestler. I think because he couldn't live out that dream, he tried to put, push it on his kids and it was tough. It was really tough. Um, like I remember we would go up to PA like, like occasionally I do well in Virginia, but we would go up to PA for a five hour trip and he would have a, a TV in back then it was the little square TVs and he'd plug it into the, where I guess you plug it into the adapter and there, I have a little box TV I'd sit in the back seat and he would play wrestling technique videos and he'd have quizzes for me. And so instead of sleeping on the way there to weigh-ins, I would actually be having to do handwritten quizzes on technique. And so like technique was something that was really, really important. I was always getting the technique. Positioning was a huge one. I was always getting technique. I was always getting positioning. I was always getting quizzed. My, 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 my dad cared more about getting A's on the technique sessions with the film study than he did necessarily about my math grade. And it was just, it was an obsession, I think by him, it, it, it carried over uh, to me, but I guess to ask what changed, I'm assuming that's what, that's what you want to know. So I remember I was in, I was in sixth grade and it was, uh, I was in sixth grade and I went, I did really bad at the, the holiday duels and I went like, oh, and 11. I remember, uh, I was, I was pinned, I was pinned 10 times and I went 0 and 11 at holiday duels and it, it goes sixth to eighth grade. And I just remember like, this just isn't for me. And, you know, I just was constantly getting my butt kicked, constantly getting my butt kicked. And it was a Sunday or a Saturday. And my dad said to me in the living room, he said, um, he said, all right, come on, we're going to North Chesterfield wrestling club practice. And at the time, they had a guy named Jared Anongas, uh, Jordan Dix, Patrick Nawazic. They had a bunch of James River guys. And I would just go there and I'd just get beat up on all the time. I, I wouldn't even say I was necessarily competitive uh, with any of them. And I was just complaining. And my dad went from forcing me. He finally said something that shocked me. He said, you know what, Blake, you're at the age now. If you don't want to do this anymore, you don't have to do it. He's like, I'm not going to take you. You don't have to, you, you don't got to wrestle anymore. So all of a sudden it went from, you know, I was being forced to do this to where I was like, oh crap. Like I actually like this. Like it was like an, it was honestly an identity crisis at a young age. And I, I made the decision. It went from my dad, you know, constantly bringing me tournaments, constantly bringing me to practices with now me doing the research on either central region wrestling.net or virginia wrestling or you know the pa tournaments i was coming to him with every tournament almost every weekend so it just it, that moment is something you know i remember i was sitting on the fireplace when we had that conversation i'll never forget that so does that change the way that you would approach uh encouraging you know uh, a child of yours to wrestle or you know telling telling other parents how they should be motivating their their wrestlers yeah i i think you you can't be see i did multiple sports my dad was the yeah. same in every sport um mm -hmm. you know about being the best training training a certain way and it wasn't just into wrestling year round i didn't just mm -hmm. i did baseball for six years i did karate for three or four um, you know, I did, I did look, I did lacrosse. I was terrible at baseball. That's how I found out I couldn't see. That's how I found out I had bad vision. Um, and the entire time I think I hit the ball once in six years. So, um, baseball, I did basketball for four years. I would actually leave from wrestling practice, um, go right from wrestling practice to basketball practice. And, you know, that was just, that was just the norm. That's just what, what we did. I'd leave football practice, go right into wrestling practice. So, um, I always wrestled year round, but I always did other sports. 
So I never, I never wasn't doing another sport at a, at some time. If it was fall, it was football. Um, if it was spring, it was baseball. And uh, once I hit middle school, it, it went to just all the other sports to just wrestling and football. But I would say I would do things a lot different than my childhood. I would, uh, I think the number one thing is I would put my children in situation in a situation to where they can grow from other coaches. Mm-hmm. Then I think that's more important. You have to show your kid that they can trust. In my opinion, now I don't have kids yet, so what do I know? But in my opinion, I find that the kids who had a lot of success and the kids who didn't burn out were ones who were coached by more than just their parents. Mm-hmm. The parents who are the, the parents who I find, found that were very supportive and had trust in a coach basically were like, uh, no matter what, you, you listen to your coach. If he says you're not the starter, you're not the starter, X, Y, and Z. Uh, I believe that's the way it should be done. You know, you, you look at what like a Mark Strickland or like what a Roy Hill's doing mm-hmm. in the state of Virginia. Um, those guys have 20 plus years of experience. You know, at the end of the day, I have my experience, but they're great coaches. Why would I not trust my kid with them? And then kid wants help. I can work with him privately. You can always work with your kid privately. So I want to jump ahead to your high school years a bit, because I know that you were lucky to have, as I understand it, you had a, uh, a practice partner, Josh Clark, who was really good um, and may have been ranked nationally, I believe. Um, and there was a wrestle off that the two of you had. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So uh, me and Josh, like back, so back, back in our time, the central region was terrible at wrestling. You know, it was the four, like the, like if you won a regional title and you went up against the Eastern region, you know, you, you lost. It was just the central region through and through just would do terrible. They'd come out with single digit state placers. It just was not good wrestling overall. It's not that you didn't, I don't know what it was, but you just, it wasn't good. Um, so during this time, me and Josh, we came through the ranks together from age four all the way through. And up until about middle school, he always beat, beat up on me. And he was about 15 pounds lighter. Um, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for Josh Clark. So anything I say, you know, about Josh Clark or about the family, uh, you know, I say with all, due, with all due respect, this is my version of the events that took place. And, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here today and I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for Josh Clark. So that's number one. Um, so basically what took place was my freshman year, I got third in the state. He gets fifth. Our sophomore year, I get second in the state. He got third or fourth, I believe. So we're in an open mat practice. I mean, this is a fun this is a fun story. So we're in an open mat practice going into uh, – going, going kind of into the season. It's like preseason or whatever. Anyway, the Virginia wrestling rankings came out. And Josh Clark was ranked number one in the state at 140. And Roman Perryman was ranked, I believe, second in the state behind him. And then at my weight class, it was Ben Dorsey first, me second. And then 152 was was Cody Ayala, who beat me in the state finals the year before. So to put things to put things in context, uh, you know, we hadn't had a state champion since the 90s, and we never had one in AAA. And it was me and Josh's goal individually to be the first ever one to do it in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And Dorsey, Dorsey, I had wrestled all throughout my life. I had never beaten him. Um, matter of fact, I, I wrestled him that, I want to say it was that year or the beginning of the year to start uh, start off the year, and I lost five to two, but I remember when the rankings came out, we had a discussion as a team and Josh was a part of the discussion and coach said, all right, somebody's going 140 and somebody's going 145. Who's doing it? And I remember when it came to 140, he quickly raised his hand and I raised my hand and I said to coach Moore, I said, I'm going to go 45 until B, until after, until the beast of the East tournament, then I'm going down to 140. And he said, well, we'll see what happens at Beast of the East. And 
I told him that right right off the get go. So right off the get go, he knew that I was going to go 140. That first open mat practice, that was that was told, that was discussed. I just wrestled six, seven straight matches against the four, uh, soon to be a four time state champion, Cody Ayala. I'm now in my junior year. I finished third, second. It's like I'm running out of time here. It's like I got a I got a guy right here in Josh Clark who I respect and believe the world in. But he's not better than me. He doesn't deserve to be the first one. That's genuinely what I believed. And I didn't admit it at that time. So anyway, what, what ended up happening was I, I make it to the semis of Beast. Josh finishes third at 140. I lose to Dorsey, I want to say, five to three in the Beast of the East semis. I finish, I finish fourth. And sure enough, we come back to the room. And this – our room – knew what was going to happen. They knew I was going down. Our, our practice room split completely in half. I don't know how this took place. I mean, you had half the team practicing on Clark's side, half the team practicing on mine. And I remember we had our, we had our first wrestle off after the next event. We went to the Nightdale duels. We both went eight and zero. He got the outstanding wrestling wrestler of the tournament. And uh, we, I don't think any of our guys made it out. Like we teched or pinned everyone. I mean, it was the best wrestling probably we've ever put on. We were just trying to show up each other the entire time. He go 140, I go 140. It just kept flip-flopping. And it didn't hit me how serious of a a thing it was until a family member of his, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, a family member, I go like, what's up, man? And he shakes my hand, he grips it tight. You got to remember, I'm, I think I'm 16 at the time. He grips it tight, and he says, are you, he was like, are you really that much of a piece of, you know? And uh, I'm like, I'm shocked because this is like someone like I've, grow, I've grown up with my whole life, a family member of his, and he, you know, call, calls me, calls me the P word, and it hit me like how real this is going to be. And I was like, holy crap, because in my mind at this time, this was like my best friend who I was about to wrestle off. But I, I guess, you know, being a dummy, I didn't really separate how big of a deal this was. So we, we go into the wrestle-offs the next week, and there were, there were three wrestle-offs, okay? And keep in mind, we've been wrestling partners since the age of four. We know every tendency. We know where, where each person's good in positions. So we, uh, we go out there. And Josh Clark was Division One wrestler, wrestled at Old Dominion University, was really good. And we go out there, our first wrestle-off, it was that Wednesday, and we show up wearing the same outfit. <laughs> He's wearing, we're both wearing Virginia Tech 30-day man camp shirts <laughs> with the same Virginia Tech shorts. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, wow, that's really funny. And I had to keep myself calm during this time. And anyway, we wrestle, and – it was zero zero first period and it goes second period. And this one decision changed what he did in the second period changed the whole aspect of the wrestle offs. He deferred to me. And when he deferred to me, I knew I won the match. They're like, well, that's a little like how, how, and this is how my mind always worked. I over always overanalyzed, always knew how the position would be won because in, in high school, at least back then, I'm not sure what it is now. First point gets triple overtime choice. Mm-hmm. Neither of us could ride each other. Mm. And the way these wrestle offs work, I had to win the first wrestle off in order to be able to wrestle them off two more times. Mm-hmm. So I wrestle them off and it's one, one going into overtime. Nobody scores in overtime, double OT. We both get an escape triple OT. I'm already down. He's wondering what's supposed to happen. I already knew how this was going to play out in my head once he deferred because I knew I knew that was that was the only way to win at that point without putting myself at risk of getting scored on. And I went down, I get away, and I just remember it was I remember it was open to the public, and man, things got crazy right after that. You know, between family members and everything, and uh, short story, we wrestle off a week later, and you know. It went different, and the second match I won in overtime, and then the mm-hmm. third match I won in double overtime. Mm-hmm. So it was three overtime matches, 
And the way that ended up going was he ended up, uh, he wrestled Dorsey in the state finals and he lost in, I want to say triple or double overtime. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I wrestled Austin D'Amico. Roman Perryman cut down to 135. I have no idea why. Um, but Roman Perryman went down to 135. And so I had D'Amico in the finals and I beat him three to two. And I, I, my overall reasoning for it was um, the matchup. Matchups are everything. Mm-hmm. My belief was I had wrestled Dorsey a million times up to that point. You're a better matchup for Dorsey. And at the time, I'm a better matchup for Perryman. You have already wrestled to Perryman. You lost to Perryman. I didn't think Perryman stood a chance with me on the feet. But that was my thought process. And here we are, you know, 10 years later. Uh, but, you know, since then, we, we never actually ever drilled or wrestled a, a, uh, with each other ever again. Hmm. So, but uh, he's, I think he's doing well now. I believe he's a police officer. But, uh, yeah, that was the story. And there was a lot of emotions with that. The families kind of, you know, parted ways. But, Overall, I think the biggest experience I learned from that was, is you over communicate, Mm. you know, everybody knew I was wrestling off, but the person I was wrestling off, it just felt Mm. like an awkward conversation. And I think that's one thing I definitely could have done better, but that's pretty much the story of it, man. I appreciate you sharing that story. The emotions run high. That's a, that's a a, a fascinating story. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who've, who've, who've heard it. It heard different versions of it over the years. Yeah. And I would say uh, the last thing on that is I almost uh, backed out of the wrestle off. People mm. don't, people don't uh, understand that is actually something I've never shared publicly, but the, after I won the first wrestle off and I saw the aftermath that took place, um, I actually sp- spoke to my mom in the kitchen and I was crying and I said, I'm not going to, uh, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't know why. I don't know why. And she said, she said something that really stuck with me that this really is an individual sport. She said, are you really going to live with yourself if you're not the first? And that's where I had to come to Jesus moment. And it was like, you know, you're right. And that wasn't like my mom to speak out about anything sports related. So, uh, yeah, that, that meant a lot, but yeah, that was, that was the tale about Clark. I'm sure a lot of, uh, 804 folks kind of wanted to know the backstory on that. Sure. sure. So have you ever had any, so you talked about how in your early days in wrestling, you didn't really like it until you were given the option to quit. Um, after you started to love wrestling and you started excelling, did you have any moments where you wanted to quit again completely? It's hard. Cause I, I was so goal oriented. It, it was really hard for me to point to times where I wanted to, I wanted to quit in high school per se. Um, I mean, I think we all go through moments where you, you go through adversity. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. For me, I just became so obsessed once that happened. I, I had my dad uh, take me, what made me go from one level to the next level was camps. Mm-hmm. I, and I didn't want to just do camps. I wanted to be like obsessed with the training. I gave up an entire 35 days straight um, of Ken Chirtaw camps. And I did it way differently than most people. A lot of people will do the J-Rob intensity camp. Mm-hmm. I went from Michigan to State College to Allentown. I basically traveled with Ken and in the little minivan, whatever. Well, he was flying. I was, I was riding in the minivan. Uh, but I just became obsessive. So as far, as far as low points, I would say, you know, all my low points were really, I always looked at them as teaching tools Mm -hmm. because the sport can chew you up, spit you out. And, uh, it's tough. It's like life. It's like, you got to figure out what went wrong. So if I go into a practice and, you know, say I'm getting beat up by a 189 pounder, I wrestled everyone all the way to heavyweight in my high school practice room. I've always believed that, uh, if someone was to smack your mom, you're going to ask them how much they weigh. <laughs> like I, I've just, I've always been of that mindset that weight doesn't matter. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, Oh, he's just so much bigger. No, just take a better angle. Um, I don't know. So o- overall I would say, uh, no, I, I never, I never for the most part went through where I wanted to quit. If I did get like that, it was over some horrible losses. 
mm-hmm. or, or times that uh, I just felt like the sport, you know, spit me up and chewed me, chewed me up. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people can, can probably relate to that. Um, so talk to me about weight cutting. Did you, did you do a lot of weight cutting? And, uh, so in high, in high school, um, so I didn't cut weight, uh, freshman, sophomore, I mean, junior year, I weighed six pounds under, uh, I mean, not junior year, uh, senior year, I weighed like six pounds under wrestling 152. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought I was weight cutting until I got to college. You know, I thought like five, six pounds, but um, no, I wouldn't say I was really weight cutting. Even when I cut to 140 my junior year, uh, it was like one kind of tough cut. But I would say I would come in fat and happy usually after football season around 165. And I would naturally get down Mm -hmm. to like, you know, high 40s after a couple weeks. It Mm -hmm. would just like fall off because I wasn't putting as much junk in my body uh as well that i guess you need for football but no I, I wouldn't say i was a huge weight cutter in high school but when i did cut weight um it was only for the big national tournaments that would be the only time and they had to be an overnight weigh-in mm-hmm. uh weighing in the day of cutting a lot of weight it doesn't do you a benefit it really mm-hmm. doesn't and kids think the lower you go the better you're going to perform every weight class is different you know if you mm-hmm. if you cut down too low, you're dealing with more shot attempts, more like the lower the weight class, the more attempts there are, the higher the weight class, the less attempts there are, but the more strength involved. So if you're, if you're really quick and can take the right angles, it's not the worst thing being up a weight. I think that's a great point of view. So, so you were third in the state, your freshman year, I think, is that right? Mm -hmm. So what would you attribute being so strong your freshman year too. You know, a lot of guys come in and, you know, they have a lot of trouble, you know, if they make it to the state tournament as a freshman, often, you know, they go to and out, you know, they're just not quite ready to, to wrestle their freshman year. What do you, what do you think was most critical for you in, in being successful your freshman year? Well, I set my goals way higher uh, than everyone else. The goal setting is huge. So, you know, for me, my goal was not to be a, I, I say it jokingly, but like um, the worst goal I have in, in high school is, is state championships. Mm-hmm. And like my goal was not to be a, a Virginia state champion. My goal is to be a four-time state champion. And I like, I remember being really nervous. I remember wrestling. I was wrestling a kid from Menchville in the first round. It's hard. You, I don't know if you ever can really replace that feeling um that first time you walk out there but i had been in so many national tournaments i had, I had prepared myself so many different times mm-hmm. and i had visualized getting my hand raised so many times to where there was just no way there mm-hmm. was just no way and i prepared that year for ben dorsey as a freshman and i visualized winning and it became like I, i've used that word a couple times already obsession it became an obsession to be a four-time state champ. And I'll never forget it, like wrestling Dorsey in the semis, and I get pancaked right to my back in the first 20 seconds. So I'm down – I want to say I was down – between that and another takedown, I was down like eight to two in the first, like, minute. And mm-hmm. he had never scored points like that on me ever before. Um, and the final score was 12-7, but it was uh, – you know, I would say the visualization goal setting, mm-hmm. I had, I had paper up on my ceiling every morning that said, I am a four-time state champ. I had to convince myself every day I had already accomplished it. So when I went out there, I was calm. It was almost like it was another match. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I, I love the approach of, of setting, of oversetting your goals. I, I remember I was talking to one of the Christiansburg coaches, you know, and, and he described, you know, their 19 year, I think it was, a, it was either an 18 year or a 19 year winning streak of state mm-hmm. titles. And, you know, they didn't set the goal of winning a state title. You know, they were aiming for national titles. They were aiming for, you know, for uh, a greater regional titles. And, you know, that was part of their mentality when they would go in and then they would blow away the state tournament in the process. Yeah. And they had some really, really tough teams. And yeah. I mean, Christiansburg historically has always been great. I mean, I know New Kent's there now, but Christiansburg is always going to be there. They are tough. 
So, so we know about your junior year. So how was your, how was your senior year in high school? So my senior year, I was ranked top, uh, I was ranked top five in the country, depending on which ranking you look at. At one point I was ranked number one in the country, but that only lasted a month uh, after I lost to David Wesley in a mass match from St. Chris. But I was, I was doing really, I was doing really well. And basically what happened was, you know, the week before, the week before the district tournament, now they don't really do districts. Um, but the week before the district tr- tournament, um, you know, I was a, I was a really immature kid and I basically was uh, doing things I shouldn't have been doing on school property. And because of that, it cost me another trip mm. uh, to the state tournament, being able to compete for a state title. And it lost me a $250,000 scholarship to the Naval Academy. Wow. And, you know, it was actually at the big blue tournament at Christiansburg. And the that was one of the best things that could have ever happen to me. Uh, and it was uh, really, it was, you know, you, you can't do things. You can't hook up with people on campus. That's really all there is to it. Uh, and, you know, you really shouldn't be doing it at that age anyway, especially when your mind should be at a tournament. Uh, but, you know, because of that incident, I had hit, in my opinion, I had hit rock bottom and there just seemed like no way out. Like I said, I lost my scholarship. It was $250,000 full ride to the Naval Academy. And I just remember I was basically on the free agent wire for a while. My dad, I don't think went to a, a state tournament or my dad didn't go to wrestling tournaments until my brother got to high school. I want to say after that. Um, but it was a really, it was a really mm-hmm. important moment. Uh, for me to grow the hell up. Like I was a boy, like period, end of story. I had no discipline. I was uncontrollable. Um, Just because you're a good wrestler doesn't mean you're a good person. And like at the age of 18, 17, you know, I genuinely don't think I I checked the boxes on many uh, great things as being a good character. So I think I deserve, I think it was a long time coming for what happened. And you know, because of that, I ended up going to University of Buffalo, which mm-hmm. ended up being a, a very good decision for me, uh, you know, for the future future of my career. I, I had no idea about that story. I appreciate you sharing that. So you so I'm assuming that you change, you know, it matured you very quickly, it sounds like, or, or did it, it? It definitely matured me, but it's like one instance doesn't change repetitive behavior mm-hmm. and it's important no matter who you are that you can't look at it. Like I think where I failed in, in high school was I thought it was just like, I thought it was just one instance and it's like, okay, don't do this one thing you did. And then it's like, no, you just do the right, you do the right things always. And Mm -hmm. so I struggled, I struggled my first semester in Buffalo for sure. Um, it definitely helped that they had a lot of money invested in me, uh, for them to constantly work with me and they helped me grow a lot as a person and it helped develop me. And then once basically when the whole staff got fired, uh, my second year there, I knew it was time to get out. And that's where I met one of the greatest men ever was Joe Russell at George Mason, Joe Mm -hmm. Russell and Tommy Owen. Mm -hmm. And, and so why don't we fast forward a little bit and hear about where you're now, na- where you are now? Cause you're head coach of, of your own program at Averett university. And uh, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about that program? So, you know, this is my fourth year here. Now this is my second year as the head coach. Um, so Tommy Owen, who recruited me at George Mason was the head coach here and he brought me on as an assistant mm-hmm. and he was just, he just preaches toughness and mentality thing. And, you know, him, him bringing me in was huge for me. And I brought in some Matoka guys who are basically the face of our program now and Samuel Braswell and Brandon Woody, but you know, it's a division three program located in Danville, Virginia. Uh, We're top 25 program now in year four, we got four guys ranked in the top 15 and it's been so awesome to see the program grow from scratch, seeing how far we've come. And it's because we outwork everyone. That's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I have two, I have two assistant coaches that easily put in over 70 hours of work a week. 
And we, I want to say we average between the three of us, at least 35 private sessions a week. Like I've always believed that when it comes to your academics, uh, when it comes to your social behavior, when it comes to wrestling, when it comes to academics, a two, when you work with someone one-on-one, you're going to retain the information more. Like, you know, when you go see your uh, calculus professor one-on-one and they hook you up with a tutor and you're working with that tutor, you actually retain the information. And with social behavior, you go see a counselor, you talk to someone and they work with you one-on-one compared to it just being a team meeting or it just being a classroom setting, you retain the information more. And it's no different in wrestling. You retain more in a one-on-one private session than you do in a team practice. And, you know, I've been a part of many team practices. I can't remember them all. But every single private session I have ever done with a coach individually as a competitor, I remember every single one in life. Hmm. I I remember what we worked on. I remember the small details about it because it's one-on-one attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's even the same with my academics. I remember meeting with that econ, econ professor in college at George Mason having to get help or like in high school having to meet with uh, the geometry teacher after school hours. Like I've never forgotten those things every individual meeting because it's way more impactful. So I just I'm a big believer on the private sessions. I believe that's why we've developed uh, so much. How many coaches are on are, are on the staff at Averitt? So we have three other coaches. Um we have our volunteer assistant, Ibrahim Banduka. Ibrahim Banduka was fourth at the World Team Trials in Greco, fourth at the U.S. Open, two-time mm-hmm. D1 qualifier. I mean, his knowledge is absolutely tremendous. He, he helps out with the light guys a lot. And then we have Patrick Davis, who uh, started for NC State, and he started for George Mason, uh, placed in the conference uh, three, three of the four years. And then we have Coach Connor Carwath, who wrestled at NAIA Williams Baptist. And he placed it, he's placed at the senior nationals twice. And he was round of 12 at the NAIA nationals. And he's been a part of a third and a fourth place team finish at the NAIA national championships. And he coached the national finalists there. So, you know, when everybody wrestled different weight classes, I wrestled 49-57. Patrick wrestled 65-74. And then Carwath wrestled uh, 97 heavyweight. IB wrestled 25. So mm-hmm. we got a lot of different mix to where uh, we got plenty of bodies to go around for the most part. Yeah. So what what advice would you give to a wrestler who wants to wrestle uh, in college in general? Grades. Yeah. Get your grades up. Like you, you, like your first priority has to be your academics. What kids don't understand. I mean, right now with COVID going on, the clearinghouse is probably a little bit different. I would imagine. Um, here's the thing: people think that that uh, athlete, the athletic scholarship money that you get, and this is I'm telling you from someone who's been on uh, been on two different teams with two different scholarship offers. Sometimes a D three school is actually more co- more competitive price-wise. Hmm. So the way you get more money at a Division three school is you have your academics up. You, the, hmm. more, the higher your GPA is, the more money you're going to get. Now, nobody's going to get necessarily a full ride, but the higher your academics are, the better it's going to be for you. If you actually want to go wrestle at a Big Ten school, if that's really a dream of yours, you're not going to be able to if you have below a 3.0. More than likely. You know, I don't I don't know every Virginia guy who's came out, but if you have a close to a, you know, if you're a 4.0 student with a high SAT score and you want to go wrestle in the Big Ten, guys will bring guys in to be GPA boosters. hundred percent. They will do that just because of your grades more so than your wrestling. And people, that's like kind of one of the old truths that coaches don't talk about openly because nobody wants to be known as the GPA booster kid. Hey, I'll offer you five hundred dollars. You're on athletic scholarship, but really it's to help out my APR, um, which is a sliding scale. But the more you focus on your grades, the more uh, opportunities it's going to open up for you. Because I'll tell you what, I've turned to, I've looked at a resume and I've seen a state champ and I've, you know, the GPA is low and maybe I know a little backstory. I turned that kid away, but I have never turned away a kid who had a 3.5 and above. That kid gets a call right away. 
that's awesome advice. I think a lot of kids need to hear that. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just, it's too important. It just says you're like, in my opinion, your grades just say that you're intelligent. Some kids don't need the, some kids are really good and knowing the technique and don't have the book smart. But the thing is, you know, and I'm not trying to speak for every D one or D two coach, but if they're taking a risk on you financially, mm -hmm. if they're investing money into you and you mess up, it puts their program back mm -hmm. because the kids you invest real money into, those are the kids you have to answer for. You don't answer for the kid who's a walk-on NCAA qualifier. You answer for the kid who's the backup who has athletic scholarship in on them. So it's it's really it's it's important that kids give themselves more opportunities. And the higher grade you have, the better the opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. So now I want to ask, what advice would you give to a young wrestler who has, let's say, four more years left? And they want to win a state title. Uh, what what would you what would you advise them to do to focus on to to better accomplish that? Well, repeat that one more time. What would you what would you tell a young wrestler who's got several years left uh, before they graduate high school who wants to win a state championship? Number one, you got to work on your positioning. If uh, if I don't score a takedown, there won't be a takedown. And positioning is the number one thing. And uh, too many times guys take it for granted. I know we have too much. Uh, there's so many different techniques out there, but the basic and the fundamentals are the most important thing. If I, I tell guys, your head must be lower than their head, mm -hmm. right? I would rather be susceptible to someone possibly getting a front headlock than someone, than someone grabbing my legs. It's just, mm -hmm. I, the, the positioning is number one and you got to have one go-to attack at a minimum. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the, the, the next thing I'm going to say, so those are your two biggest things. Mm -hmm. You got to have one thing you can score on every, on everyone with your positioning has to be tremendous. Positioning is the number one thing, but then to get to that next level, in my opinion, you have to be able to score at least one thing from every position. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that, like too many times in wrestling, yeah, you want to put on a pace. I get it. I understand it. But to think that kids aren't given effort just because they're not shooting a million times in a match, that may so more so be a confidence thing. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to wrestle in each tie-up. Because mm -hmm. guess what? I, I may push the pace. I may have tremendous speed. I may have all these things. But a guy, if, he can, if he's really good at getting to a Russian – and he's at that level, he's probably going to be able to grab a Russian on me. So how are you going to score when someone grabs a Russian? How are you going to score when someone grabs a wrist? How are you going to score when, when a guy goes underhook? And having the confidence and repetitions in drilling to be able to constantly hit that again and again. The last thing I would say is private sessions and camps. Mm -hmm. Got to do private sessions with someone where you want to be at. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go with a younger guy in private sessions, then it's going to be more of a physicality thing. That's more of a physical workout. But if you're going with some an older coach, like for instance, say say a Brian Hazard, who's very knowledgeable, you know, and he, he was doing a private private session. Well, he's probably not necessarily wrestling with you, but he can point out the 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 very small details of what's going wrong with your technique on anything. So the private sessions, if you're, if you're, if you're trying mm -hmm. to save money or you got to go to camps, you mm -hmm. got to do them in the summer because what they do at camps is repetition, 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 repetition. That's how you'll find your success. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks it's about wrestling in a million tournaments. It's not necessarily about that. If you got crap technique, because you're going to hit the same crap moves and you're going to keep losing losses the same exact way. I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, a lot of times the competition is overrated. I, now you do need to get exposed to different wrestlers. Y the better I was very lucky that I got exposed to really great wrestlers even before I was ready to wrestle them. I, I mentally, mentally, it didn't set me back to 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 get beaten by somebody who was a lot better than me. And I overall was very lucky to get to wrestle them. That said. The technique is really critical. You know? Absolutely. You, you got to have it. 
And I think once once you have those three things, right, from a technique standpoint, now you can, once you've now gotten to that level from a technique standpoint, now is when you start going, not mm-hmm. you go nonstop with the tournaments. One thing I don't understand that we do, and I was always someone, even in high school, even at the age of 14, I was always someone big on developing your skills. Mm-hmm. You just, you, it can't just be one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. I understand, you know, Iowa style. I understand putting the aggression, but you have to be able to wrestle in multiple positions and be successful with them. So what I don't understand is when you have a really good wrestler, right? And there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but I'm just telling you my opinion on it because there's coaches way more successful than me who would tear, tear this apart what I'm saying right now. When you get to that point and you feel like your technique is there now, now it's all about getting over match time anxiety. Mm. So you wrestle at all these tough tournaments again and again and again, and you kind of figure out, okay, what am I hitting? What am I not hitting? Blah, blah, blah. But what you also need to do is you need to go to the small market tournaments, the rinky dink tournaments that are only pulling in, you know, 50 to 50 to hundred kids doing the round robin. And when you go there, it's not about winning and losing. You go there to work on new techniques. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is one thing that the more high level wrestlers in high school, in my opinion, should take more advantage of is mm-hmm. when you get to a certain level. Okay. You may be wrestling the, uh, I call it, I call it like, uh, you, you work your way up the ladder. I do this with our guys too. So if I have a, a new double leg, double leg I'm working on, right? Start out hitting it on the worst guy in the room. Mm-hmm. So you start out at the small tournaments doing it. Then you go to another tournament. Then all of a sudden now you're hitting it in the national semis and the national finals because you've progressed. You have to progress on your competitions. But then in the practice room, you progress on your technique. So first I need to do it on this guy. Then you work it to maybe it's a guy smaller than you who's good. Then you work it on your backup. Then you work it on one of the best wrestlers in the room. Because now if you're hitting it on one of the best wrestlers in the room and you're in a good room, you're going to be able to hit it out there. Mm-hmm. So it's a progression. Um, so that that's my overall thought of it. And it's like, you got to be the same way with tournaments. You can't just throw your kid into holiday duels, uh, in my opinion, to where he goes 0-11 and, and wants to quit the sport. Yeah. There, there's a progression to it uh, of working guys into it. Start off at the little league things. It's not going to happen overnight. A kid may be motivated Right, uh, you know, his first time, his first time wrestling, give that a year, two years, four years, five years of losing. And then Mm -hmm. one, eventually there's a breaking point. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Well, Blake, I really appreciate your time. I know that, that young wrestlers are going to benefit tremendously from this. And, and I wish you all the best of luck at Averett growing that program. I'm looking forward to watching matches of Averett wrestlers. Appreciate it, Will. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Backpoints today. If you want to support the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you find the show. Also, it helps us if you give the show a rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Feel free to also make a donation via Patreon at patreon.com backpoints. Thanks and see you next episode.